0: It's Friday, March 31st, and a former president is being charged with a crime. We start here. Donald Trump becomes the first American president indicted by a grand jury. He will have to be booked and processed our team will break down the case the implications and what happens next there are arrests then there's
1: hostage taking russia has become bolder and bolder about taking americans hostage in order to try and basically use them as bargaining chips the latest american
0: arrested in russia is a journalist and only four people have ever been cured of hiv now there might be a fifth
2: i feel like my heart just sinks I wasn't ready to die.
0: In an exclusive interview, a patient describes to ABC how he beat back the virus. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Usually, everything about a grand jury is supposed to be secret. Whether at the state level or at the federal level, these are the people who hear facts about cases from prosecutors and then recommend whether there's enough there to file a charge. Of course, when a grand jury is hearing a criminal case against a former president, it gets really tough to keep a secret. There are signs that the Manhattan DA is wrapping up an investigation into Trump's involvement in a hush money payment.
3: Prosecutorial misconduct is their new tool... And they are willing to use it at levels never seen before.
0: And for weeks, we've known the Manhattan district attorney has been calling in witnesses for a grand jury to hear accusations that during his first campaign, Donald Trump arranged hush money payments for porn star Stormy Daniels.
4: My attorney and I are committed to making sure that everyone finds out
0: the truth. Hush money is not necessarily illegal, but lying about the payments on important documents could be. But in these secret proceedings, again, we don't know what these witnesses have been saying. They want to
3: attack me on uh, the five counts of the tax evasion or the misrepresentation well, you are to a the bank. Liar. No. Well, no, no. Hold on a second, George. I pled guilty. It was no
0: secret that the DA thought he was coming close to getting this grand jury to a vote, but again, we had no idea when or what they might say.
3: Breaking news at this hour, a grand jury here in New York City has just handed up an indictment.
0: But yesterday, this exploded into public view as Donald Trump became the first president, current or former, in the history of this country to be indicted for a crime. Let's go straight to ABC senior investigative reporter Aaron katurski who was at that courthouse as this all happened, as well as ABC legal contributor Kate Shaw, who joins us from home. Aaron, the former president of the United States has been
3: indicted For what? What is the charge? We don't know, Brad, because the indictment remains sealed until former President Trump appears here in lower Manhattan at court to be arraigned. At that point, the charges will be unsealed, but only at, at that point. We know, though, that the grand jury had been hearing evidence about whether Trump falsified business records when he allegedly logged the payments to Stormy Daniels, reimbursed his lawyer michael cohen at the time who actually wrote the check as legal expenses routine legal expenses as part of a retainer agreement and cohen has said there was no retainer agreement these weren't legal expenses these were payments meant to protect his political campaign from potentially embarrassing revelations about an alleged affair which trump has denied trump has said he wasn't trying to protect the campaign brad he was trying to protect his family his wife his young son baron From these embarrassing details that Stormy Daniels may have had to offer. And that's why uh, the hush payment was made.
0: And Aaron, like, nobody knows the New York court system better than you. That's like, you know, all the investigative stuff, but you also just know New York City crime rules. Does Trump get, like, arrested right now? Does he go to booking? I mean,
3: how does this work? Every white collar defendant in New York is given the opportunity to present himself at court a surrender. And that's what the Manhattan DA's office and Trump's legal team is working on. It'll be early next week. Tuesday is the likely day, we're told, Brad. And at that point, he will have to be booked and processed, perhaps fingerprinted and photographed, although his picture's everywhere and Trump's fingerprints are on file because he used to have a gun permit in New York. So we don't know how many of the formalities they'll do. The one thing that is certain is that he will have to appear in an open courtroom in front of a judge to enter a plea uh, to these charges. And in all likelihood, that will be not guilty because in speaking to his lawyers, they say they plan to vigorously defend what they call a political prosecution.
0: But just to hear you say photograph, like we're talking about a mugshot, a mugshot of a former American president is, is what like may or may not happen. So let me bring in Kate Shaw, our legal contributor. Kate, like deep breath. How unprecedented is this? What's going through your mind?
4: Um, I'm going to say something a little bit Counterintuitive, which is it is totally unprecedented, of course, to indict a former president and a leading presidential candidate. But we have a long tradition in this country of indicting former senior officials of various sorts. So I'm from Illinois. Four of our last seven governors have gone to prison. Governors go to jail and prison all the time, members of Congress, former and even current, former federal judges. So we actually do have a system of justice that takes the position that no one is beyond the reach of the law. But of course, it is the case that the president is unique in our political system, and we have not had a president in this position. But I think the fact that we have had many other very senior office holders face justice and the system has held actually should provide some comfort that we have a system of justice that is prepared to handle this, although there's nothing quite like it that we have ever seen before.
0: Well, from a legal standpoint, Kate, and this is just a charge, right? This is not a conviction. There hasn't even been nope. a trial. But does this look like a case that would result in a conviction? And if so, what is the charge he would even be convicted of?
4: Um, Here, too, I'm taking a cautious approach right now, Brad, because I do think we need to wait to see the indictment before we can really assess the strength of the case. We think we know that the heart of the charge is something like falsifying business records with an intent to defraud. So that's a misdemeanor, but it can be converted to a felony if. The falsification is in furtherance of another crime. And we are all speculating about what that other crime might be. Could it be a campaign finance violation? Could it be a tax crime? Could it be something totally different that we just don't know about because the grand Jury proceedings-
0: are there, f- are there state versions of that? Or aren't those, fe- do you have to like make it a federal charge now? No, I, I mean, look,
4: so so this is a question that is part of the reason that it's it, this could be a very tricky and complicated case. If in fact the other crime is a federal campaign finance crime, you know, Michael Cohen went to prison for federal campaign finance offenses, among other things, related to this scheme. But Trump himself was not charged by any federal prosecutors with any federal campaign finance violation. So it would certainly be novel for a state prosecutor to peg a state misdemeanor charge to a federal crime. It's just untested. We don't know what a court would make of it, but we don't know that's what the other crime is. It could be another state crime, which would, I think, put us in much more familiar legal terrain.
0: Well, and that's why I'm asking, like, I'm not trying to be persnickety about this, but but part of this seems to be that there is a, what some are calling like a novel legal theory that Alvin Bragg, the DA, could use here. And it sounds like it hasn't really been tested in ways that we've seen before. So, Aaron... What is Alvin Bragg's
3: plan here as the DA? Since the misdemeanor of falsifying business records can be bumped up to a felony, I think it's likely the district attorney's office had a felony in mind. I I think it is unlikely they would move to be the first office in history to to prosecute a a former American president on a misdemeanor charge. Uh, This case has been living in the DA's office For years the prior DA went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court twice to get hold of former President Trump's taxes. So it is also possible that the underpinning of a potential felony could be some kind of a tax charge. We just don't know yet. Uh, But for for the District Attorney's Office, there's a lot riding on this case. Alvin Bragg has already won a Trump-related conviction in convicting his company, the Trump Organization of Tax Fraud, and he has always said that his investigation continues and that he will continue to follow the facts and the law.
0: What does the former president say?
3: The former president says, Brad, that Alvin Bragg, the DA, is is trying to take down an election, trying to lean for the Democrats. He's, he's a Democrat, Bragg, who was elected uh, you know, a year and change ago. And to, to Trump, this is all about putting the thumb on the scale for the Democrats, or at least for another Republican candidate, but but Trump is the only declared candidate uh, in the Republican race so far, and and has to then be considered the front runner. And to him, this is just a, a persecution.
0: Well, and that actually brings up a good point, because Kate, what does this mean for Trump from a campaign standpoint? Because he's not only a former president, he's also a candidate for president. He wants to be one in the future.
4: Yeah, he. I mean, look, as a technical matter, it has no impact on his ability legally to run for president. The constitution has just a few criteria in it for, you know, qualifying for you know a few qualifications to run for president. You have to be 35, you have to be a natural born citizen, you have to be a resident. That's about it. So not under criminal investigation, not under indictment, not convicted or even incarcerated. None of those things are requirements to run for president. So as a legal and constitutional matter, this has no bearing on former President Trump's ability to run again. There could be practical limitations that these proceedings impose. Um, obviously, if we were looking at incarceration, that might be an enormous practical problem, but that's something that would be way down the road if it ever happened. Um, but it is interesting, and I think, surprising to some people that there's nothing in the law that, you know, there's not. There's no way in which there's a legal impact on the ability to run for president that these proceedings impose. Um, but of course, you know, there. This will all be viewed politically, and I, I think I'll probably leave to the political commentators the assessment of whether this helps or hurts Trump politically. Um, but you know, as a legal matter, it really. Is essentially just there are practical limitations and he'll have to at some point be arraigned and so he can't be campaigning and there will be other court dates and those will be, you know, a potential imposition. But he is, you know, constitutionally eligible to run for president and this doesn't change that one bit.
0: Well, Aaron, we keep talking about how unprecedented all this is. Could this just be the beginning of what we think of, like, never-been-done-before sorts of charges? Because if, if you've got the Stormy Daniels thing, there are others perhaps on the horizon.
3: But the other things that former President Trump could be indicted on and convicted of have to do with January 6th, with uh, tampering with the election results in Georgia, with, uh, with, with uh, you know, mishandling classified documents. And to the American public, those may seem like more urgent or consequential matters. But this was the case that was closest to resolution. And you could tell that it was on the mind of former President Trump at a rally in Waco, Texas, his first big campaign event of 2024. He was talking about the Manhattan district attorney. And so whether it's uh, for for charges that seem like they, they will matter to national security and American democracy or, you know, whether they mattered to, in, in this case here, the, the 2016 election, uh, the Manhattan DA didn't really seem to be thinking about those bigger implications. He's always said, you follow the facts and the law, would anybody else get prosecuted for this in this particular way? Uh, The Manhattan DA says they bring a lot of falsifying business records cases, which they do. Uh, but not usually as a, a standalone charge against an individual. It's normally yeah. re- reserved for banks and companies.
0: It sounds nice, Kate, to say like, hey, we, we would bring this anytime. So we're just going to do this in the order that the cases come up. Is that the way I, I'm sure you're going to tell me that's the way it should be. And yet, if you have a case against the president, do you want it? You want it to be a slam dunk before you hear the other ones?
4: I, I think that, that this is the way it should be. I think the Manhattan DA isn't and shouldn't be in the position of sitting down to think about what the right political sequencing of the various charges that are possible against President Trump, whether we're talking about the federal special counsel or the Fulton County, Georgia prosecutor or the Manhattan DA. I think that 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 office should restrict itself to evaluating the evidence before it. And, you know, people who have looked at this, the Times has looked pretty extensively at it, have concluded that this is, a, this is not a novel charge, that's an outlier charge, where it looks like a stretch um, to charge former President Trump like this, it's relatively routinely brought. Um, And so, you know, as a political matter, of course, it could feel like a suboptimal sequencing or one that doesn't make a ton of sense, because there are bigger stakes cases out there, at least investigations ongoing. But I don't think that's the right lens through which the Manhattan DA should be viewing, you know, his Uh, his job, his role. And so it seems to me that if that's been essentially put aside, then that's actually appropriate in the interest of justice.
0: Aaron, last question. Does he now show up to like Trial, like the whole thing you'd expect with any other defendant.
3: That's what we're going to see. At this point, he's treated like any other defendant. Of course, he is not like any other defendant, Brad. So the security around here has been stepped up. The U.S. Secret Service is going to help arrange for for his appearance. Uh, and and should this go to trial, which would probably be no earlier than you know a year or so from now, uh, you could imagine all of that will have to be repeated with the security and the Secret Service and all of that. But the process is the same and the first thing is to to come in enter a plea of of not guilty we expect and then his lawyers are going to to, to fight at every turn filing motions uh, getting discovery evidence from from the district attorney's office and and going through every usual step of a criminal prosecution
0: all right kate shaw surrounded by her legal volumes aaron katursky out there on the streets of new york huge moment here uh, thank you both
3: thanks brad thank you brad
0: Next up on Start Here, if you want to make a swap for your spies, you better charge some people with spying. Another American's been arrested in Russia. After the break, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? We all know there are things in life you got to compromise on. Like, when I want burritos, but my wife wants salad, the compromise is we get salads. But when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who doesn't take the time to really hear your health concerns or who's in a rush to end your appointments. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C start here. ZocDoc.com dot com slash start here. The Cold War has been over for decades, but in this new version, perhaps, of the Cold War, there is now a non-zero chance that an American, enjoying some free time in Russia, could get arrested and held as a prisoner.
2: Really, hope is about expecting Paul to
1: come home at some point and to see our parents again, which is really the goal.
0: It happened to a former Marine named Paul Whelan, then another Marine veteran named Trevor Reed, then to even one of America's most high-profile basketball players, Brittany Greiner.
2: were well, you're sitting over there, in your cut, you having...
3: They haven't come to your rescue yet. She doesn't want to be forgotten.
0: Reed and Griner had both been freed in prisoner exchanges. But yesterday, Russia detained another American, and this time it was an American journalist. Let's go to ABC's Patrick Reeval, who was based in Moscow for years. Patrick, who is this reporter and why was he detained?
1: Hi, Brad. Yeah, I mean, the name of this reporter is Evan Gerskovich, and he's a reporter with The Wall Street Journal. And he's covered Russia for years. I mean, I have known Evan for years um, and I know him fairly well. And he was arrested out in Yekaterinburg by Russia's FSB, who have accused him of espionage charges. Press
4: Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says in a statement, quote, The targeting of American citizens by the Russian government is unacceptable. We condemn the detention of Mr. Gershkovich in the strongest terms.
1: At the moment, the details are pretty scant. The FSB haven't provided any evidence and the claim that he was collecting classified information about a defense enterprise linked to Russia's uh, military industrial complex and said that he was doing so on the behalf of the United States. Um, I think already people are very concerned that essentially these charges might have been fabricated and that he uh, has essentially been taken hostage in the same way Mm. that Brittany Griner was and that Paul Whelan has been.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, how does this compare to other, I guess, recent high profile detentions? And Does it tell us anything about Russia's objectives here?
1: Right now, this has all the hallmarks of those other detentions. In particular, it's extremely similar to the case of Paul Whelan, the former American Marine um, who was seized by Russia and also charged with espionage back in 2018. And those charges, his family in the USA, are fabricated uh, in order to keep Paul Whelan as a hostage and to use him basically as a bargaining chip.
2: It's very difficult to get the Russian government to tell you the truth
0: about
3: what's going on. Uh, unless they
1: want to. We've seen this in recent years that Russia has become bolder and bolder about taking Americans hostage in order to try and basically use them as bargaining chips, mm. uh, to try and trade them for Russians who are held in America. And I think the fear is now that this is exactly what has happened to Evan, that they have decided to seize him. Um, but as you say, this is also the first time that Russia has felt strong enough to go after an American journalist in many, many years. In the cases that we've seen previously, it's taken months. And in Paul Whelan's case years and he still hasn't been freed. And the fear is that this could go on now for months and perhaps years because the espionage charges that Evan faces carry a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. Evan could find himself trapped in Russia. Well, and if this is fabricated, why is espionage the thing we seem to see over and over here? Because
0: if you wanted to get somebody charged with a crime, you could plant drugs on them if you wanted, right? You could plant an eyewitness who said they saw them doing something bad, and yet we see these accusations of Americans spying on them. Is there a practical reason for that, or is it just like a, a better story to sell with the Russian public? What is
1: it? So in the case of Brittany Greiner, it was it was trumped up drug charges, right? And in the case of Paul Whelan, it's espionage charges. And the main reason to use espionage charges is that they have extremely... Long prison sentences, and also are very severe. And in theory, the Russians believe that means that they can then press for someone more important, um, who the who the US holds. Oh, but like I think in, also, instead of getting back a drug dealer or something, you could get back a spy, like a
0: real spy, a Russian spy that was convicted of spying. Now that's sort of a like-for-like like trade you could
1: make. Exactly, and I mean, I think the other thing is that what Evan is accused of is supposedly collecting classified information about defense enterprises. And one of the people that Evan met with while he was out there, according to this person anyway, is a local lawmaker out in Yekaterinburg, who who claims that Evan basically interviewed him and during the interview asked questions about defense enterprises, asking things like, have they changed since the war in Ukraine began? And of course, these are normal journalistic questions, but in Russia, that can be presented now as basically spy work. Mm. And the problem, obviously, is that anyone in Russia, any Western journalist there now, is at risk of being accused of espionage and can be taken. And ultimately, you know, if they want to take you, they can, I mean, they will fabricate charges against you and they will take you. So when the war in Ukraine began, most Western reporters left because there was this fear for their safety and this fear that they might be taken hostage by the Russian regime. And the fear is that that is exactly what has happened to Evan, that he has now been targeted. There are still Western journalists working in in Russia and they come in and out, but already there was this sense that it was no longer possible to feel secure working in Russia. And so obviously this is being taken as a message. It's meant to scare people. And yeah, the question is, will that make it even more dangerous to cover Russia on the ground and also simply will just intimidate people and mean that no one really wants to risk being there yeah the committee to protect journalists said this is the latest in a long line of attempts by
0: russia to use national security laws to silence reporting and the wall street journal we should say says these accusations are false and that they are standing by evan and his family just huge ramifications for journalists I mean, patrick reval reporting from london right now thank you so much thanks brad All right, one more quick break. When we come back, there aren't that many people on the planet to talk to that have been cured of HIV. Well, Juju Chang just interviewed one of them. You're going to want to stick around for this. One last thing is next.
4: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
0: And one last thing. We've spent decades holding charity events hoping to find a cure to HIV. But in what's perhaps one of the biggest stories of the last 50 years, this disease has been effectively halted in more and more people. Preventative medications and treatments have revolutionized what it means to live with HIV. And yet a cure is still basically unheard of. Out of millions diagnosed and the 1.2 million people living with HIV today, only four people in history have ever been deemed cured.
2: Well, there now appears to be a fifth. What was it like sort of walking into the history books? You know, I'm really happy I'm able to come out and tell my story. In
0: his very first interview since being treated, Paul Edmonds spoke exclusively to ABC's Juju Chang, and he told her in some ways he's really lived the entire story of HIV in America.
2: And I, I just knew I was different.
0: He grew up in a Southern Baptist household in Georgia. When he headed to San Francisco, he says, he experienced for the first time what it felt like to be a proud, liberated gay man. But then a new virus began killing his friends one by one.
2: And there was so much fear and stigma. He said people were shunning each other. There was so much misinformation at the time. Well, uh, it was quite uh, scary because no one really knew what was happening. What did people call it? As a gay cancer. But then he started seeing friends die. And he he told me this incredibly po- poignant thing that every Friday they would get out the, the gay newspaper and they would look for their friends in the obituary. And it was this haunting time.
0: He was afraid to get tested. When he did, he found out he'd contracted the disease. Through the 90s, there were treatments for HIV, but these medications were debilitating. Paul toughed it out, he managed to survive, and eventually those treatments improved, which brings us to a few years ago.
2: He found out he had leukemia, which is a growing concern among men uh, who have lived with HIV for a long time, and women for that matter. Um, and so in order to cure the leukemia, he had to get a bone marrow transplant. What was your gut reaction? What was your immediate reaction Well, my my immediate reaction was, you know, I felt like my heart just sinks. What kept you going? I, that positive attitude. Uh, I wasn't ready to die. You know. The concern for his doctors first and
0: foremost was dealing with the leukemia. They arranged a bone marrow transplant. But they noticed something in recent years, that when patients positive for HIV had gotten bone marrow transplants, a couple of them had basically inherited a genetic mutation from their donors, a mutation that
2: rendered them immune to HIV. And it's a rare genetic mutation. Only 1% of the population has it, where their immune system essentially fights off HIV naturally.
0: So these doctors went hunting for that mutation. They sought out these stem cells. After his transplant, Paul began to go into remission, not just for leukemia, but for HIV as well. And while combinations of medication are allowing more and more people to have the virus rendered undetectable in their systems, Paul was even able to go off his medications, and the remission continued. He hasn't taken HIV meds in two years.
2: What was that like after 30 years of taking HIV medications? What was it like going off? Well, it kind of went real. It, it was really hard to totally believe it.
0: This has a couple profound implications. For one, doctors are always trying to make this less and less invasive, so it might be available to more patients. More lives could be saved. Two, this continues to shine a light on how important bone marrow transplants can be. Our own Robin Roberts' life was saved because she found a match. So doctors say, in addition to getting tested for HIV, super important since it's easier to prevent than it is to cure, we should all remember the power
2: of giving our own bone marrow. I was incredibly grateful. I think grateful to be alive, I was grateful there was a donor, very, very grateful. And
0: now, sitting next to his husband, Paul could become part of this five-member club that's been officially cured of HIV, and he's hoping that club gets larger quickly. It's such a simple and powerful idea. By the way, doctors remind us, it's not that difficult or invasive to donate your bone marrow. And you can actually get tested to see if you're a match before you do the whole thing. They will try to pair you. We'll have info on who you can contact about that in our show notes. Start Here is produced by Kelly Therese, Jen Newman, Brenda Salinas-Baker, Mika Aronson, Iru Ekpenobi, Cameron Chertavian, Anthony Ali, and Tara Gimble. Ariel Chester is our social media producer. Josh Cohan is director of podcast programming. I'm our managing editor. Laura Mayer is our executive producer. Thanks to Lakia Brown, John Newman, Liz Alessi, and our intern Amira Williams. Special thanks this week to Chris Berry, Nadine Shubailot, Mike Dubusky, and Tim Song. I'm Brad Milkey. See you next week.